So in those 57 words in the original Greek, again, it just says so much with saying so little. And so often we get so wrapped up in saying those words and reciting them in our lips, and yet our heart is so far from their actual meaning. And so it's been my joy through this series just to take a moment to say, how can we use these words in our hearts and not just recite them in our, on our lips? And I think that it's been really good for me just to sort of slow down each week and just look at each verse individually and say, how are we reflecting this in our lives? How are we living out um, the, the prayer of keep your name holy? How is that starting in me? How, how am I living out your kingdom come, your will be done? Um, how am I living out daily bread? How am I living out forgiveness and in those things. And so today we're, we're asking God for something big. We're asking God for something that only he can provide, which is a really interesting thing because we think that we can provide it as well. And this is the one that theologically is going to tie us up into a little bit of a knot because we get to it and we're like, wait a second, what is, what is Jesus asking me to ask God for? What exactly am I thinking about here in this moment? <clears throat> The last um, few, the second half of the prayer, as we've talked about, it's been all about um, the things that we have needed. So in the first half, we talked about the things that God wants for us and God wants to push us through in our lives. The things that we need to do for kingdom to come, the things that we need for his name to be holy. And then the last three things were things that we need to make those things accomplished. We need daily bread, we need daily forgiveness, and we need daily protection. And so that bread was provision and it represented our present moment. Give me what I need for today only. We're not planning for the future. And then a pardon from sins, a pardon from our debt, a release from that debt, that becomes our past. That represents a past life and where we've come from. Debts accumulate over time. And so this week, as we finish up this series, as we finish up the prayer, we're looking for that protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's all about protection. It's all about the future self. It's all about where we're headed in the future. That as we get to that point, we're saying, God, meet me here at this crossroads. Meet me here at this crisis. Meet me here at the dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross called it. Protect me in the future. That when I get to that point, you will be there. And so we have this big theological, excuse me, we have this big theological task to undertake. Because I think of all of the things that we've read, theologically, we've been able to make make heads or tails of it. Like, yeah, that looks on paper, that looks straight away, that looks like it, it works with everything that I know about who God is. It looks like it works with everything that the Old Testament is teaching. It looks like it works with everything that the New Testament is teaching. But then we get to verse 13, and it says, lead us not into temptation. And I got to admit, that's a head scratcher. I got to admit that we got to take a little bit of time with this one, because as I prayed this as a child growing up, What it looks like it implies is that God wants us to do evil and that we're asking him, God, please don't lead me into evil things. God, if you could please allow me not to do evil, that would be great. 
It seems that God wants us to do evil. And so by asking him, don't lead me into evil. Don't lead me into a place where I'm going to be tempted to do bad things. It appears that we're putting the guilt on God. Boy, that doesn't mesh with what I know of who God is. That doesn't mesh with my idea of Old Testament teaching and New Testament teaching. So where is the mix-up? Where are we getting our signals crossed? Because what it seems to me is that the devil is the one that tempts us to do evil. The devil is the one who's coming into our lives and whispering things into our ears and enticing us into those moments where we have to make a decision about right or wrong or good or bad or what it might be in front of us between two things, maybe a lesser of two evils. That's not God saying, hey, come this way. Wouldn't it be nice if you were just to do this and nobody's watching God does not tempt us to do evil. And yet here is this verse, lead us not. God, please lead us not into the temptation. Lead us not into a time where we would be tempted. I think that the problem that we have is that in the original Greek, the word can mean two different things. And so like all things, as we regress, as we go back, because remember, when you're reading a translation, you're reading someone's choice of word. This is a guy who's sitting in an office, typing things on a computer, making choices, and his choice was to say, lead us not into temptation. But that's not always what it means. And so when we look at the word temptation, we're actually looking at the word that means trial or test. An examination. Okay, so now we're getting a little bit closer to the truth. We're getting a little bit closer as to what this could possibly mean for our lives. We don't like examinations. We don't like to take tests because we could fail a test. When we are given the knowledge, when we, uh, uh, the, the, the teacher or professor is standing there and giving us all of this information, and then we have to go and take the test, how much did you remember? What choices are you going to make here? This is not an examination to say uh, pass or fail. This is an examination of character. This is an examination of what are you made of. God leads us into trials not to cause our anxiety to rise up, not to entice us to do evil, but God invites us into trials so that we can reveal who we are. There is a refinement process. There is a fire that we all have to go through that burns away. In Malachi 3, 2, it talks about going as the refiner's fire, the purify my heart, God, that I can be of pure gold or pure silver, that all the inconsistencies, the tin and the iron that is in gold when it's not refined yet, melt that away from me so that all that remains is pure gold. That's worthy of a king, a crown of glory that doesn't have any impurities in it. And so when we are asking God not to lead us into temptation, we're literally saying in the original Greek, do not allow me to be carried into a time of testing. 
ooh, that changes our outlook now. Because that does not put the blame on God for the evil. That does not put the blame squarely in the lap of God where we can say, God, this was your fault. You brought me to this place. No, we're saying, God, come to me in my moment of testing. And if you can, keep that testing from me completely. We don't like the fear that comes from a test. But God gives us the opportunity to shape ourselves. God gives us the opportunity to show who we are. God gives us the opportunity to examine our hearts and our character so that in those moments of choice, in those moments of decision, we get to stand there and say yes, yes, yes to God. This is not a moment where God leads us to that and it's a trick. He's trapped us. Man, I hope I survive this. But God is saying, I am going to get you to a point that's going to test your will. It's going to test your faith. It's going to test your trust. It's going to test your resolve. Your heart will grow weak. And guess what? That's okay. Because the thing about it, tests and trials, is that God promises, and Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, you're going to be led to a time of testing, but God will give you all the resources that you need to get through those testings. We often manipulate that phrase and we say, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. That is wrong. That's purely wrong right there. God will give you more than you can handle. That's what tests are about. God will pile it on day after day after day. If you think you being sick is wrong, if you think that's bad, if you think that's causing you to make bad choices, wait till your whole family gets sick. You think you losing your job is bad? Wait till everyone in your family loses their job. Just wait until Job shows up who loses everything. Because in the time of testing, God is going to put you in a burner. He's going to put you in the furnace, in the fire, and he's going to burn all that stuff away. And what comes out of there is true character. Do not kid yourself by saying, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. He will. And he does. He always does. Because this is the time of testing and we are pleading with God, do not take me to that point now. Do not put me there, God, because I cannot handle it. And God says, that's okay. It's okay that you can't handle it because I can. I've given you everything that you need in your character, in your heart, in the Holy Spirit to be with you through these trials and temptations. When you come to this point, you will be tested. And then when we make the choice, one way or the other, that determines our character. That determines, that reveals who we are. Here's the thing about refinement, though. Very often, it's not about God. It's not for God. This refinement of our bodies, this refinement of our character, this refinement of our soul and our hearts, it's not for God. God loves us the way that we are. There's nothing more that we can do that God will love us. And there's nothing that we can do that God will love us any less. 
This refinement process is not for God. This refinement process is for us. This testing is for us. It reveals to us and to those around us who we claim to be. And we claim to be a Christian and we say, put me through it. Show me. Prove that I am worthy. That's what we read in the psalm today. David said to God, prove. Let me prove this to you so that I can stand at the altar of you, God, and know for sure in my heart that you are the one for me. Let me prove it to you. Let me show you. Let me do this for you. It's to help us see how deep our trust and faith is in God. Or we can say it all day long. Yeah, I believe in God. I trust in God. Until we get to that moment. There's a saying that always helps me is that calm waters don't make good sailors. It's bad water. It's rough seas that make good sailors. It's there. Anyone can be a good sailor in good water. But it's when the time of rough seas show up that you determine your worth as a sailor. You determine your worth and your value and what is important to you when God puts you in those rough waters and says, all right, go ahead and swim now. They say, well, okay, I'm going to try and do it myself. I'm going to make the choices that I'm going to make for myself. And God says, you're, gonna, you're not going to swim. You're going to sink. It's not going to be good for you to do it that way. And he says, by the way, I've provided you with the rough seas, but I've also provided you with a yacht, if you so choose it. And we say, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. I can do this myself. I can get through this time because I'm just going to pray. I'm going to talk to everyone about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come through this stronger because I learned how to swim through this. And God says, you don't have to learn how to swim. You don't have to learn how to swim. I will do this for you. There is a yacht waiting for you. And I've got, I've got people that will take care of you and serve you all of this stuff. And all you have to do is just climb up the ladder and get in the boat. No, 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 no. That's okay. You're trying to teach me something, God. I know that. And it's going to be hard for a little while. I, I just got to buckle down and I can do that. I can get myself through this because you never give me anything more than I can handle. This is the cycle that we get ourselves into. This is our thought process of I'm going to be all right because I can do all these things myself. And God says, no, no, I'm going to lead you every single time into a time of testing because I want you to respond to me. I want you to reach out and grasp for me. I'm going to take you to this point where you're going to lose your life and your family and your job and everything that you had. And remember, we read in Deuteronomy, it says when you've got those nice houses and we've got a barn full of animals and when you've got crops that are growing in your field, do not give in because this is not your own. Do not get proud about this. Do not grow arrogant that you picked yourself up by your bootstraps and you did it yourself. You did it the right way. God will not reward you for that. That will be your reward. Your arrogance, your stubbornness, that will be your reward. This is why it's called temptation. 
Because when we get to those points in our lives where we want to be proud and we want to be arrogant or we want to lie or we want to cheat or we want to steal, God puts us in that test and we're tempted to go one way or the other. God will give us wealth and he will give us riches and he will give us success and progress in our life. And I can finally see the light and God will say, that's your temptation is to say, I did this myself. I'm arrogant and proud. That's the temptation. And God says, I want to work that out of you. And on the other side where God says, I'm going to take everything away from you. And you're going to say, I need something now. I need to cheat or steal or lie in order to get those things back. Or I need to, to shut that person out of my life. Or I need to live with the bitterness. Or I need to live with the contentment of my heart because of this situation. And God said, there's your reward. Your bitterness and your contentment, that's your reward. I want to work all of that out of you. When we're asking for our daily bread and for a daily wiping of our debts, these are things that when we don't have them, we are carried into temptation with them. In fact, it's often our lack of resources. It's our lack of something that drives us to decisions. Our lack of humility will drive us into arrogance and pride. Our lack of basic necessities or food or money will drive us into a decision. And it's when we feel like we are without that God will say, you are now in a time of testing. You are now in a time where you are tempted by evil. That when we step out in these moments, God is asking us to make decisions It always drives us to a place where we need to make decisions. But here's the great thing about this confession. And this is a confession, by the way. Lead us not into temptation. This is a confession that not only says, um, I am sinful. I am going to be weak. I am going to be in a time of testing. I am going to want to be tempted. It not only admits our sinfulness, but it admits our weakness as well. All of life is a series of tests. It's a, it's a time in which our character can be both shown and formed. When we make a decision, when we decide to move in one direction or another, We show who our character is. And over time, as we continue to make those choices towards God, as we continue to walk towards God, as we continue to choose good over evil, we are formed by each of those decisions. I am who I am today because of the decisions that I have made in my past. Where I have come from has brought me here to this point. So I'm not only showing who I am, I'm not only showing my character in all those decisions, but each decision is also forming me. That's why in the book of James, he says at the very beginning, consider it joy, my fellow brothers and sisters, when you experience trials of all kinds. You will see them, you will face them, and you will be at a point where you need to make a decision on them. We don't really want to be led into the time of testing because we fear it. We fear failure. We fear that we are going to mess it all up. We fear that we are not going to live up to the expectations on our lives. And we just have to stop that cycle. Because God is a 
God who redeems people of failure. God sees our failure. He sees our brokenness. He sees us that even yet while we were still sinners, God gave his son's life for us. And if that doesn't get you to the point where you need to be, I don't know what does. It's admission of that weakness. It's who we are and it's who he is. And just because, don't think for one second that just because we're believers or we go to church or we pray or we read our Bible or we give to the church that we go to or we have shared Jesus with someone or we baptized someone or we went to seminary or we planted a church that trials will not visit us. Just because you think you are super Christian because you are so much better in the eyes of yourself than the other people around you that you will not fail these tests. I'm strong enough. My prayer life is strong enough. I I give to the church. I'm a pastor, so I must be stronger than everyone else. This is a myth. This is a lie that the devil continues to tell you over and over and over again. You are not strong enough. This is a confession of our sinfulness and our weakness. And so then Jesus says, if you don't want to be led into the temptation, if you don't want to be allowed to be carried into that which is tempting to you, then pray this, but rescue us from that which is evil. Or said another way, rescue us from the evil one. Deliver us, rescue us, give us salvation, pull us up. The literal word in Hebrew for rescue and deliver and salvation is to pull up. And the picture then is a person trapped in a well who can do nothing to save themselves. God, drop a rope down the well. God, I am stuck in this hole that I don't know how I got here Please send something, send someone to lower something into the hole so that I might climb out. This is the idea of rescue. This is the idea of being delivered from our own hearts. The word for evil here means what we think it means. Things that are wicked, things that are bad, it's the opposite of good. But in my study this week, I found that it also carries the weight of worthless. It carries the weight of something of poor quality. And that changes my outlook on this. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the things that are worthless. Deliver me. Rescue me. Take these things out of my life that I have no business spending time on. Take these things away from me. Rescue me from the things in my life that distract me from your worthiness. Things that don't deserve worship. Things that don't deserve to be called human or good. If it breaks your heart, God, why do I think it will fulfill mine? God, take these things that I keep wasting my time on out of my life. Jesus and Paul both 
prayed for deliverance, by the way. So what makes you think that you're better than Jesus or Paul? That you don't need to pray for rescue at a time when you are tempted to go the other way. Jesus prayed in Matthew 26, 39, if you can take this cup from me, do it. I do not want to bear the weight of this coming wrath, but if it is your will, I will do it. But if you can take it from me, do it. Jesus, in his desperation, in his last hours, prays to his father, deliver me from the evilness that is coming, the evilness in the world. Protect me from these things. Protect me from these worthless things. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8, prays, if you can remove this thorn from my side, do it, because I can no longer live with it. But if it's your will that I continue to go forward with this the way that it is, fine. We'll do it together. Jesus and Paul both pray for deliverance from these worthless things. But God expects and demands that we understand our main problem. That which we really fear. It's not difficulties. It's not bad events. It's not a bad day. It's not traffic. It's not losing our job. It's not a coworker that we can't get along with. It's not money problems or other misfortunes, but rather the very power of evil that can possess our lives, the evil that wishes us to fail the test every single time. Because God's looking at us and he's saying, why are you worried about that when there's so much else going on? Why are you worried about this little one thing? That if you just trust me, we'll be taken care of. When really what you should be concerned about is the evil that exists in the world. The things of this world that are seeking to get you to fail. Because see, evil is not just something that we do, but it's something that has us bound. It's something from which we must be freed of. When I think of that, when I think of the image that comes to mind, I think of a bird in a cage. I think of this happy little bird just going about its life, tweeting, and it's got a lovely, a lovely old woman who takes care of it and feeds it bird seed and water. And as long as that bird's needs are met, it won't grow anxious. It won't grow weary. It needs food and water. And so that Little old lady takes care of the bird's needs. It delivers the bird from hunger and thirst. And the bird then becomes happy because the needs are met. We're not praying that prayer. Because what the bird has, what's happened to the bird is that it's started to ignore that there's a cage around it. It started to ignore the fact that it is locked in. It cannot move. And as long as evil exists in the world, there will always be a cage over that bird. We are praying for deliverance that the cage itself disappears because that bird has gotten to the place where it says all of these little problems, the bird seed and the water, that's evil in the world. And as long as those things are taken care of, I'll be fine. It started to ignore the cage because its internal needs are met. 
When we pray for deliverance, the door is open, the cage is lifted, the chains fall off our legs and our arms. We become free again. When we ask to be delivered from evil, we are not simply asking that we are able to avoid pain and sorrow. We are asking that we be restored to a freedom that we do not have, a freedom that we do not own. Because we have grown complacent in the evilness that exists in the world. We have our needs met. We get our bird seed, we get our water, and we have our fill. Eat until you are hungry, thirst until you thirst no more. And the devil is happy to fulfill those wishes for us. The devil is happy to give us all of those little wishes that we want. Because the more that we focus on having our needs met like that, the less that we notice the cage that has been built around us. The less that we notice the chains that are still shackled to our feet. That as we live in this world and desire the things of this world and make choices that lead us closer to the edge, the shackles stay on. We can never be free of them. And you notice what sin does in your life. It's not that it's just one big thing, that we just lie and we get it over with and we're done. Sin often looks like coming closer and closer and closer to the line. It grows and it grows and it grows. Well, I'm not as bad as it could be. I know I probably shouldn't get this close to it, but I haven't gone over that line yet. And that's what evil does to us. We cozy up to the line without ever actually crossing it. And God says, as long as you've got birdseed and water, you're not going to notice how close you've come to the line. You're not going to see the injustice in the world. You're not going to see people still trapped in oppression and slavery. You're not going to see poverty that still exists in this modern nation of ours. You're not going to see the depravity of culture. You're not going to see the depravity of politics. You're not going to see the depravity of all the things that people want you to buy and have and keep and sell. Because we've cozied up to the line. We've gotten really, really good at fooling ourselves as to where the line is. The last thing that this brings us to is that this is, once again, as always, it's a prayer for all of us. It's a prayer for deliver us from evil, not deliver me from evil. God, help me get through this day that I don't have any more traffic jams or I don't have any more um, Wi-Fi issues. This is a prayer for all of us. This is a prayer that all of creation would be set free. Amen. This is a prayer that says, I can see God's good work in the world. I can see that all of creation cries out to him. And God, I'm praying that you would drop a line to us and pull us out of this. Pull us out of the muck and the mire, the morass that we have built up around us, the castle walls that we have, the silos that we've lived in for so long. Rescue us, God, so that creation itself would be free from this. 
If we forget that the cage might be able to convince ourselves that the lack of food is the only evil that we have, but lack of freedom becomes a daily experience. And we often come to the conclusion that it's just a natural experience. That being free from evil is just something that we have to do in this world. We're asking that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to the decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We share in this common situation with everyone and we're asking God to deliver us from the evil we are powerless against, but also confessing that we are so enslaved we are not able to do the good we wish and yet do the evil we do not wish. That was Paul's writing in Romans 7. It's one of my favorite, my favorite lines. It's so raw and so real that Paul is writing in Romans 7. That often I do the things that I don't want to do and the things that I wish I could do, I can't because evil lives inside of me. And I always do the things I don't want to do because I have this thing inside of me that is evil. And if you're sitting there wondering, well, wait a second, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like the world that I'm living in right now. This doesn't sound like the God that I believe in. You're right. It's not. Because the God that we believe in has already dropped a line down the well. The God that we believe in has already given us the rescue boat to swim in. The God that we believe in has already delivered us from evil. And yet we live in such a way that makes that void. We live in such a way that we don't believe it ourselves. That we pray and we reach out, God, where are you in this? God, why have you not rescued me from this? He has. Jesus has. God has sent us a lifeboat. He has sent us a sign. He has sent us a son who is our savior. Who says, I have been tempted the way that you've been tempted. I've gone through these trials and these testings before. There's an old joke that goes, uh, a guy was walking down the sidewalk and fell into a hole. And he's yelling up at all the people above him, say, hey, help me out, help me out. And uh, a paramedic walks by and says, I'm sorry, I don't have anything to drop down to you. I wish I could help, but I can't. And a fireman walks by next, help me, help me, help me. I'm sorry, I don't have anything to help you. I wish I could come down there. I'll, I'll go and get help. And finally, his friend walks by and says, Hey, Bob, Bob, help me, help me. And so Bob jumps down in the hole. He's like, what did you do that for? Now we're both trapped down here. And Bob says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Jesus is in the hole with us, by the way. 
He's been there before. He's been tempted. He's gone through the exact same. This was the genius of God's plan. We would get ourselves stuck. And the only way to get us unstuck is to put someone in the hole with us. Who can die and who can rise again and who can lift us all out of that.